Hello, this is John Himmel. I'm the founder of the Association of Domestic Violence Intervention Programs. And uh, this is uh, one in a number of podcasts that ADVIP is offering. Today, I'm going to be talking to uh, Dr. Carla Stover. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and an associate professor at the Yale University School of Medicine Child Study Center. Dr. Stover's research interests are focused on the impact of violence and trauma, in particular, family violence on child development and the advancement of best practice interventions for children and families affected by such violence exposure. She developed Fathers for Change to enable fathers to reduce both their violence and substance abuse and improve their parenting. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Carla, uh, let me start off by asking you to just generally describe the Fathers for Change uh, program. Uh, for example, its structure, um, how long uh, are the sessions, what are its components, and so forth? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, Fathers for Change is a clinical intervention that was designed to be offered individually to dads who have young children. And when I say young children, I mean under 12 years old, so not really little, but um, under 12, with a history of intimate partner violence and or substance misuse. So, we've used it with fathers who have both. It was originally designed for use with men who had co-occurring substance use and intimate partner violence, um, but subsequently we've used um We've offered the intervention to dads who have just IPV with no substance use and dads who have substance use um, without IPV. And I'll talk, I can talk a little bit more about that, but it's, it's really designed for fathers with, with those two issues. Um, and it includes nine core topics, uh, four co-parent topics and five father-child topics that are delivered in 60, 50 to 60 minute individual therapy sessions. Um, The intervention usually takes between four to six months to complete, um, depending on the need of the particular dad. So some of the topics, the core topics are for everybody, and then the co-parent and father-child topics are, can be selected based on the clinician's um, thoughts about the father's needs and what the father is wanting from the intervention. Um, It really is designed from an attachment and family systems perspective, but it includes a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy kinds of skills and techniques too as part of it. Um, And the focus of the intervention is on cessation of violence um, and aggression and abstinence from substances if that's an issue, and then improving co-parenting, decreasing negative parenting behaviors and increasing positive father-child interactions. So you're, uh, I, I assume you're drawing on research that uh, indicates that uh, individuals who are violent towards their partners are often violent towards their children or abusive and vice versa. Correct. But also that exposure to violence is harmful to children in and of itself. So right. the dads don't have to be abusive toward their children to participate, although we assume that that is happening in probably half the families. Right. They're exposing them to violence. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Why is your why is your program focused on or uses the one on one modality instead of group? Mm-hmm. Now, it's a great question. And I think the reason for that is that there's, there's a few reasons. Um, I think that my clinical experience with a lot of these dads is that group group isn't for everyone. I think that group interventions certainly can be helpful and are very effective for some folks. Um, 
but I think that there are individuals that don't take to a group situation that it isn't a fit for them. And so that's one reason. But it's also, it's primarily the nature of the intervention itself, that it really is intended to get in and provide a clinical clinical care um, that is based on the father's individual needs. So the clinician really needs to have a good understanding of um, the father's background, you know, his, his his own exposure to violence and child maltreatment in his in his childhood and w- with his family of origin. Um, spends a lot of time really trying to help the father understand what are his own triggers for aggression, what are his hot button issues, what are the kind of thought processes that go through his mind, how can he you know, change that. And in order to do that, a clinician needs to spend enough time with a dad one-on-one to really get into some of those issues. Um, And I think that there are individuals that in a group, they're not as comfortable sharing all of that background or all of those dynamics or ways that they think about situations or their children or their partners. Um, So that's, those are the main reasons. Um, And and also the co-parent and father-child components in order for the clinician to really help the father think about his co-parent, take her perspective, think about making amends to his own child. There's a lot of individual factors that the clinician has to consider around what was happening in that particular family. How would a father explain that to his his child, depending on the ages of his kids, the certain circumstances now, is the family still living together? Or are they not? And so we just, I've found that it works, some of those components work better in a one-on-one setting. I think there are certainly aspects of the intervention that could be delivered in a group format, um, and potentially down the road we may try to do that. <clears throat> but the initial, the, the initial research that we've done and the initial service that we've offered has been in individual care, individual treatment. Right. Uh, where do you, how do these uh, these men find your program? Uh, where, where do you draw your client base from? Mm-hmm. So most of the referrals come from Child Protective Services. Um, so these are families where the the there has been Child Protective Service involvement mostly due to domestic violence, meaning that there has been an arrest, the father's been involved with the courts, and it was then also reported to Child Protective Services. We also get cases where Child Protective Services is involved for some other reason, and they uncover um, domestic violence that's happening in the family, and so then they will refer the fathers to us at that time. We also do get some referrals from substance abuse treatment programs and from um from the courts, but the, it's primarily Child Protective Services is our main referral. Do better intervention programs ever refer clients to you? Sometimes. Um, there is a, so currently I'm living in the state of Connecticut, and so there is a, a state-funded program that the courts administer, so to speak. Um, and so most of the, the men are, are mandated to those programs that the state funds. Um, but the the court, the family, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of the name of the, the family relations counselors in the courts are becoming more aware of the program. And so there are times that they may call us to ask us about a particular case. Um, and the, the reason for that has been, in the past has been, one of the things I didn't mention before is that Fathers for Change starts with a really comprehensive assessment. So we do 
a good amount of individual assessment with the dad and we also look at court records and we look at child protective services records if the family is living together and the mom would like to participate in assessment she's invited to come in and meet individually and separately with the clinician so we can get a full picture of what's happening in the family so at times family relations has been very interested in um, getting a better idea of what's happening for a particular dad because they're worried they're worried that maybe the batter intervention program isn't going to be enough, isn't a good enough fit, um, and so they will refer because they know they're going to they're going to hear from us a good assessment of what we think is happening, um, in terms of because safety and security of the family is our primary concern as well before we ever offer any any treatment to a to a particular dad. Okay, so let's say that you have some fam uh, some family members involved from the beginning. Uh, in the assessment process, do you then encourage uh, other family members to continue working with the dad and in some kind of family therapy context? Or, uh, do you do that yourselves or do you refer out? Uh, how does that work? Right, right. So the assessment um, helps us get a good sense of the family's needs, but then if a father is invited, offered the program, the Fathers for Change starts with individual an individual, the core topics are all individually delivered to the dad. And so he comes in, he participates in those um, and is hopefully making some gains. The, the co-parent topics and the father-child topics, there is an option for the partner to participate in those if the clinician feels it is safe after having worked with the dad for, it's usually a minimum of, of 10 weeks for those individual core topics. And it sometimes takes longer, depending on the dad's engagement in the program. Um, and that only happens if the clinician feels it's safe and if the clinician has met individually with the, the partner or co-parent um, mother to for at least two or three individual meetings with her to assess what's really going on in the family. Is she seeing changes? Does she have any concerns about meeting together and really getting an understanding from her what it is she's hoping to get out of participating in those sessions? Right. And when I talk about co-parenting sessions, I'm, I'm not at all talking about a couple's therapy in any kind of way where they're talking about their relationship or their intimate relationship. The sessions, if they decide if they do have them and they both agree to participate in them is focus on their, their co-parenting relationship. So how do they, how do they communicate with each other in the for the best interests of their children? And so we don't get into, you know, what, what sometimes happens in talking about infidelity or, you know, trust issues. It's really like, how do you communicate together? What, how do you need to talk to each other um, for the health of your family or the health of your children primarily? Right. So we do have, co-parents who will decide they want to do that even if they're not in a relationship together anymore because they want to come together to to figure out how to talk to each other around you know making a phone call about changing a visit or you know talking about the kids doctor's appointment or things like that so it's it's really they're very structured sessions and the clinicians are very clear from the beginning that you know this isn't a couple this isn't couples therapy we're not going to be talking about past infidelities or any of those kinds of things. This is really to talk about your children and, and communicating about your kids. And there's just some communication top, the, the topics are really on, on communication, like active listening. How do you, how do you make an I statement and, and tell the other person what it is that you need? And that's, that's really what it's focused on. Now, uh, I, I do parenting programs uh, mm -hmm. for individuals that, that have been convicted of child abuse. 
in, uh -huh. in, in our program, it's for men and women, and we, we address parenting issues as well as family conflict, uh, communication, all those yeah. things. So I assume that all those topics are addressed in, in your Fathers for Change program, how to parent, how to respond to your child in a in an appropriate way, as, as well as just general guidelines on impulse control and communication and all that? Right. So it so we have um, the father-child focus sessions are, are focused more on um, like structure and routine in the house, emotion regulation and emotion coaching kinds of things, exactly what you're describing. You know, how do you respond in an appropriate way to your child's emotions? How do you... And so... The phased approach of the intervention, the, the individual focus is trying to help the dad really get a handle on his own um, emotion regulation difficulties. How does he understand his feelings? How does he manage them better? How does he communicate with his co-parent? And then moving into how do you apply those skills that you've now learned to do for yourself to to parenting, right? How do you parent your child? How do you help your child develop those same skills? Because a lot of the dads we work with um, they grew up in homes where they were maltreated themselves or they didn't have good role models of how to manage their emotions. They didn't learn those kinds of skills. And so we talk a lot about that, the multi-generational transmission of aggression and affect regulation problems and violence and using substances to cope. And so we look at that across the father's individual background and his own family um, and then talk about the things that he didn't learn and then work on learning those things in the individual sessions and then think in the, toward the end of the program, how do you apply that to your role now as a parent and helping your child learn those skills and that you didn't learn? So we do, we do some of that kind of trans, transition work into applying that stuff toward his role as a parent. I wouldn't say that we're a full, we're not a full parenting uh, curriculum or parenting program. So if we identify dads that really need, you know, we do a few sessions on, you know, how do you, uh, how do you teach emotions to, how do you manage your kids' emotions? How do you appropriately discipline your kids? What are alternatives to spanking and those right. kinds of things? Right. But if, if a dad really needs more than that, then we would refer him on to an additional parenting program. Oh, like I if see. we feel like he, you know, if he needs a full, you know, 12 or 16 week parenting class, then we're, we don't cover all of those kinds of topics. But we, we're very focused on a few key topics that we think are connected to the aggression usually. You mentioned earlier the uh, developmental needs of children, I believe. So mm -hmm. is that something you formally present in your curriculum that at certain ages, children are gonna have exhibit certain behaviors and uh, these are some common ways that parents can, should or should not respond that kind of thing? Yes, yeah. yes. And we talk specifically about the impact of violence on kids at different ages. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, particularly if we have dads who have very young children who think their kids aren't affected, we talk a lot about, you know, what we know about how exposure to violence impacts development. Um, and then we talk about it at different ages. And we also tie that in when we get to helping the dad talk about what the kids have witnessed, because the Part of the restorative parenting and making amends is helping dads um, develop a kind of a script of what they're going to say, what they could say to their child about the violence that they've witnessed, you know, that yeah. to so the fathers to take some response, take responsibility for that violence um, and talk about the changes that they're trying to make. And that's why they're in treatment. Um, and so we talk a lot about the developmental ages of the dad's particular child, what would be language that you would use to explain this to a child who's 
four or five or seven and um, and then help him think through what the developmental needs of his kids are at those different ages and then how that will change as they get older. Right, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, I work uh, mostly with male offenders. I, I conduct batter intervention mm-hmm. programs. Mostly uh, we do, uh, we have men's groups. We have some women's groups as well. Mm-hmm. And there are differences in the in the different ways that uh, these, these sort of dynamics of these groups. I see some I see that some of the issues are different across populations. Uh, do, you, do you see that the, the men in your program have any different needs or concerns that might differentiate themselves from, the, from women who are, are seeking this kind of help for parenting and uh, family violence and so forth? Do I think the needs of men are different than women seeking yeah, this kind like, of treatment? Uh, yeah, parents mm-hmm. who, who, have, who have been abusive to their partners um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes uh, these are women, sometimes they're men. Mm-hmm. Are, are the men uh, different mm-hmm. in some ways from the women? Are their needs different? Or is your approach to the men somewhat different than uh, your approach might be if you were working with uh, uh, mothers, for example? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because we've, we've started. So we have a couple of things that we do. We have, um, if we have couples where it's really clear that it's mutual violence, that it really is a a dynamic between the two of them. There aren't the power and control issues with one partner dominating the other, that it's kind of these explosive arguments that both partners are involved in. And particularly, we've had some cases where the moms actually are more aggressive and will say that they're more aggressive than their partner. Um, Typically, those moms are, have a lot of the same, they have a very usually traumatic past where they were abused and maltreated themselves um, and they don't have any um, ability. They're triggered very easily. They don't regulate their emotions well. And so we have had couples where we've actually had them both do fathers, the fathers for change curriculum pretty much in parallel. Um, And then brought them together for the co-parent sessions when they both got through the individual curriculum Right, and that's right. that's worked fairly well because they've both learned the same skills, um, and they had similar issues. You know, uh, we get a, quite a few referrals for uh, young parents who came through the DCF system and then coupled. You know, they met in foster care, or they both came out of the foster care system, and you know, got together and now have kids of their own. Um, so those kinds of of relationships, we see a lot of that kind of similar traumatized young adults who are um, not not able to be in healthy relationships and manage their emotions well because of their their past histories and so the the curriculum has worked well the intervention has worked well with those couples to to do them in parallel Um, we've had a few moms who have been referred and child protection has wanted us to do the program with them because it I think that the the way things are here in Connecticut, and I've I've seen this in other states, it may be true where you are too, is that basically women are referred to the same um, batters groups or you know anger management groups as men, and so they typically get their own group. It's an all women's group, but it's still the same curriculum. Um, yeah, and of course. That of it course. doesn't it doesn't always quite match. I think that's what you're asking. That you know that. No, the, uh, my actual actually what I wanted to know was uh, are the the ways that men communicate and things they talk about in group different from the things women talk about. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that um, typically, and it's not always the case, but the man is usually 
usually complains about how the partner is too permissive or or sort of challenges his parenting authority in front of the children. These are some of the concerns that the men have. The women, uh, often their concerns is more like he's uh, he steps in and, and he's he over he's overreacting or he's too controlling or he's he's too mm -hmm. harsh. And I'm just mm -hmm. wondering if you're seeing some of that. Uh, yes. The other thing I was going to point out is that the doing battle intervention programs with men, uh, it's sometimes difficult to get them to have a lot of compassion for their partners. Sometimes their partners mm -hmm. are were involved in mutual violence, or, mm -hmm. or sometimes the men just perceive it that way. But when you uh, talk to them about the impact that their violence has on their children, they're a little bit more uh, amenable to listening. So I would assume that that might be a reason why you fathers for change might be uh, effective in that sense that yes right because the, the right the initial session so the phases of the intervention are there's the assessment and then the, we use the nine core topics include the initial couple of topics are focused entirely on their role as a parent like what kind of parent do you want to be tell you know tell us about your kids and how um you know what are the dreams you have for your kids how, how do you want to be like and like your like and unlike your own parents, you know, and to try to understand their like role, their models of fatherhood and what kind of father they hope to be and what they want for their kids. Um, and so then that we're able to segue that into talking some about, you know, how, how is the circumstances they're in, you know, they're involved with child protection, <laughs> they've had an arrest for domestic violence, they are having substance abuse problems, like how does that match up with their vision of what they'd like to have the life they want for their kids. Um, and that usually is a, uh, that usually is an opening. They're usually very interested in talking about their kids. They're excited to be approached as a dad rather than uh, an, an offender. Yeah. Right, right. Right. An offender. So they are usually engaged pretty quickly in that. Now we still do have dads who, you know, Oh, you know, deny violence or they're, they are blaming of their partner. So we use those first few sessions to really try to build a relationship with the dad. And we've seen that if we do that, usually he'll open up more over time about what's really going on. Um, I mean, they have every reason in the world to try to minimize when they're being referred by child protection. They're, Many of them are just scared they're going to lose their kids. And so they just, no, 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 none of that's happening. But after a while, after a couple of sessions, they usually will at least open up the door a little bit to some more honesty about what's been going on. And that is helpful. And I, I do believe that's the, our focus on their kids and their and what they hope for their kids and, and the negative impacts that some of these behaviors that the kids have been witnessing can cause. Let me ask you this. Uh, any outcome studies that you've conducted on Fathers for Change, do you have any idea as to it, uh, its effectiveness so far? Mm -hmm. So we've done a couple of um, small studies to try to build our evidence base, and we're continuing to work on that all the time. Um, we did an, an initial randomized trial, which was a small trial where we compared Fathers for Change to individual drug counseling. And as I mentioned, we were initially only providing this to um, men who had substance use and violence. Um, and what, at least what was true in my community at the time was that, you know, if you had a substance use problem, you were referred to substance abuse treatment and that's what you got. <laughs> and maybe you'd get referred to some other programming, maybe a batter's program, maybe a parenting class, but you had to kind of do all those separately. Um, and so what I was interested in is trying to develop an intervention that could address those three issues, you know, domestic violence, substance use, and, and 
poor parenting or child maltreatment in one program. And so we compared Fathers for Change to individual drug counseling. And what we found was that Fathers for Change, there was um, greater reductions in intimate partner violence. So we assessed them um, before they started treatment, post-treatment, and then we followed them up three months later to see how they were doing. And we had um, greater reductions in intimate partner violence post-treatment and at the three-month follow-up. So they didn't have kind of a rebound effect afterwards. The individual drug counseling actually did reduce violence a, a little bit as well, because, you know, when you when people stop drinking and using substances, they do tend to be less aggressive. Um, but it, it didn't, um, it sort of flatlined. They, they got a little better and then they just uh, didn't get any better from there. Um, we also saw greater improvements in terms of their interactions with their kids. So we did play interactions with the dads before they got their treatment and afterwards. And Fathers for Change dads were much less intrusive. They had a lot more consistency and ease in their interactions with their kids. And interestingly, the, the dads who got the individual drug counseling, actually their play, their play interactions with their kids looked worse at post-assessment after the intervention. And my thought about that is that they, it was because they weren't using substances, but they didn't get any kind of assistance with their parenting or how to interact with their kids or how to make amends with their kids. And so I think there was a, a lot more discomfort um, on the part of those dads. Um, then we also have had, we've done what I would call more of an open trial. So the state of Connecticut, as I mentioned, has been really interested in this intervention. And so Child Protective Services through the state has funded the training of five agencies to deliver Fathers for Change. And so we have offered the program to 177 dads who've been referred and 105 successfully completed the program. So it's about 60%. Um, of dads who were referred completed it, which I thought was, you know, pretty good considering it was um, a, co a community implementation with, with lots of referrals. Um, our pre-post assessments of that program so far have revealed significant reductions in intimate partner violence. Um, we use the abusive behavior inventory and we actually have, we interview both fathers and mothers about their own behavior and their partner's behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and we found that both fathers and mothers reported significant reductions in IPV. So moms reported that the dads were significantly less violent post-intervention. Um, and they, we also saw, you know, we, we did some other assessments to see like, okay, they're being less violent, but how come, right? <laughs> so there, um, there were significant reductions in their reports of their affect dysregu affect regulation problems, uh, hostile thinking, um, had improved greatly. And also the dads reported a lot less mental health like symptoms. So depression, anxiety. And the co-parents, the mothers reported that their children were doing better, had significant reductions in um, their PTSD symptoms. So we feel like the, the data we have so far on this implementation suggests that, that it is helping families, that they are reporting less violence, better family functioning, fewer symptoms for the family members. So we're hoping to do a larger trial, um, just waiting on grant reviews at the moment. So um, what do you think uh, are the lessons to be learned from what your program has to offer in terms of policy? I did a review of state standards on batter intervention. Mm -hmm. I don't recall mm -hmm. exactly what Connecticut's are, but um, mm -hmm. in a lot of states, um, 
they're kind of restrictive. Um, yep. And the emphasis that they, they put on, for example, power and control mm -hmm. uh, as like the only or main uh, focus of attention in group or, or insisting that all the treatment be done through a group modality. Your program seems to suggest that having a parenting component would be really important uh, for even a, just a regular battery intervention program for mm -hmm. for parents. Can you speak to that? How how, mm -hmm. how can we improve our battery intervention mm -hmm. programs with some of the things that you've learned? Because mm -hmm. not everyone can refer clients. Obviously, the Fathers for Change or right or of programs course. like that. Right. No, and I think so. One of the things that I I'm starting, so I hope that we'll have some information soon, is we're we're actually going to try um, a study with our court support services division here in Connecticut, where we're going to try to infuse some of the the parenting and father focus aspects from Fathers for Change into one of the standard batterer groups. So to alter some of the sessions, try to really focus much more on fatherhood and and put fathers together in a group and see if that increases, makes any difference in terms of engagement, in terms of their um, buy into the program and, and that sort of thing. So hope, stay tuned. Hopefully I'll have some more information about that. But I, I do, you know, I think, I believe, which is why I'm trying it, that this, this approach is a way to try to engage some of these dads. And I, I'm not the first person to say this. I think there are others, Chris Murphy and some others who have been looking at some of these issues for a long time, mm -hmm. I think would agree that, um, you know, the fatherhood role is a motivator for not all, but for a good portion of these men who are dads. And so if we can use that as a way to help engage them in, in the, in the treatment programs, whatever they are, and increase motivation to make some changes, I think that's, that's going to be a good thing. I think in terms of, you know, what else have I learned? I mean, I, to me, I think, I think the standards, I think there's a lot, I understand the reasons why they were implemented because we need to make sure that people are being referred to appropriate kinds of service. But I think where I fall is that we, there isn't a one size that's going to fit everybody that's going to help everybody. And so if we can have a little bit better assessment of each person's needs, which I think, you know, some programs do, do, do a bit an assessment and they, you know, does this person need substance abuse treatment? Do they need more of a clinical, they have a lot of psychiatric needs. And, and I think some programs do that. And I think that that's great. I think there are a lot of programs that don't. And so then nationally, and so then I think then what happens is people are actually aren't getting the kind of care that they need. Um, and then they're, they're likely to, you know, be the, the people who have recidivism or who repeat violence after they finish the group or they don't end up going to the group, they drop out altogether. So I think that we need to think about, are there options and, and, and who, who are those options for, right? Like, I think that everybody's concerned about safety and security of, of women and kids and, or victims and kids, whatever their gender may be. And so how do we, how do we assess and how do we offer the appropriate services to, to those who need it? Could, could there be mechanisms for individuals who provide batter intervention groups to be able to identify folks that they're like, Ooh, this, I mean, I'm sure, you know, when you do a group like, Oh boy, this person really needs some additional help. You can probably spot it as a good facilitator. You know, there are certain times where you would like to be able to refer someone on to more. So what would that be? And how do you do that? And so I think that fathers for change, you know, we have gotten referrals from folks who've completed a batter program because either DCF or somebody else said, Hey, I think you'd really benefit from some ongoing um, service and they've they've taken that, but I think that takes um, 
you know, opening people up to the idea that 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 clinical intervention could can help these folks, and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, the one size approach. Right. In a sh within a short amount of time, this podcast mm -hmm. will be available on the Advip website. So Advip members mm -hmm. who listen to the podcast uh, might very well, some of them might very well contact you and find out more about your program and how they can benefit from it, whether they can adapt at least some of the, your strategies or approaches mm -hmm. to their own programs or how they can refer to programs like yours. Are you are you familiar with, uh, with programs kind of like Fathers for Change in other parts of the country? Um, do you know where these kind of resources might be located? I don't know others doing Fathers for Change, but I, you know, certainly um, there are other dad and parenting focused programs. Caring Dads is one of them that I think probably has the most traction. Have you heard of that one? C-A-R-I-N-G, Caring Dads. Caring Dads, yeah. Uh -huh. It was developed by Katrina Scott. She's up in Toronto. And so she's done some trainings. And so there are folks around in different parts of the country and certainly internationally that are using um, her her group program, which is, is quite good, I think. And she's got some really good outcomes with that. So I think that's a an option. I mean, I, I think I know that individual treatment is more expensive. People have to have insurance or have a, a means of accessing it. Um, and so I think there has always been push for providing group care whenever we can because it it, it is less expensive. So I, I know that, that that program has has been around and has got, got some good results. Well, even if even if uh, battery intervention providers, treat, uh, substance abuse providers uh, just have some knowledge about your curriculum mm -hmm. and what you do, mm -hmm. They could just learn from that and weave in some of what you you have to offer into their own curriculum. I mean, in our 52-week right. battery intervention program, and we talk about parenting issues all the time. Although it's not a a big part of our formal curriculum, we do have we do talk about the the developmental needs of children. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's something that we go over, <clears throat> and we offer extra credit assignments to dads and so forth. So we were always trying to weave in uh, extra material. Uh, Carla, thank you for participating in the podcast today. I really sure. appreciate it. Thank you. Well, great. It was great talking to you.